Hello, Cello! This week's episode of Silly Talks About Science Fiction is brought to you by your own personal portrait of Dorian Gray. That's right, your own personal portrait of Dorian Gray, so you can suck forever, just like all these movies we're going to talk about today. Yes, I'm Kristen Kiss. And I'm Jeff Gritman. And we are the co-authors of a fun and silly sci-fi comedy short story series called Prison Dead, starring the illustrious Leslie James Gum. Sorry, I was watching a Sound of the Lambs. Yeah, you were. You said. Anyway, so today we are in a book mood because we are going to a book festival this weekend, the Gaithersburg Book Festival. Hopefully um, they do better this year than they did last year, because last year was it terrible. Rained. It just rained, but... It was cold! So Nitu, one of my um, co-workers at work, was telling me that she goes to Maryland fairly often because her fiancé lives there, and she said Gaithersburg has gotten very built up, even in the last year. She said yeah. there's a lot more little shops and, and yes. bars, so I think it'll be a fun weekend. We're going to have the Bean with us, so yeah. that'll be exciting and fun, because he sings songs about nomlets. Yeah, not nomlets. And he says, hello, cello, so this yeah, episode was, was is also him. brought to you by the Bean. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we're going to be at the Gaithersburg Book Festival tomorrow. Pretty much, yeah. So that's Saturday the 20th. Yes. So um, come find us. Come check come us out at me, if you're, son. if you're in the area. We're going to be having a fun time. But um, we're not going to see our friend Dawn this year, so I'm a little bummed, but we'll still see we'll our other friends at ChessyCon, and uh, we'll be chilling. Yeah. Hopefully meet some new friends, hand out some cards, get some new fans. Sell some books. Sell some, Sell books. some books. I have two new fans at work, so I'm excited about that. Nice. Um, but anyway, so today we are in a book mood, so yeah. we are going to talk to you about some books that were great, but when they made them into movies, they sucked. Yeah. Like, major Donkey Wang. Donkey Wang. The first movie yeah. we want to talk about is Stephen King's The Lawnmower Man. Now, yes. this movie, um, this was one of the first movies I really remember as being that much like computer-generated graphics. Now, Tron obviously was, but I didn't see Tron at this point in my life. This movie was a horrible nightmare of Jeff Fahey and Pierce Brosnan <laughs> that made me want to go jump <laughs> off a bridge when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is so bad that Stephen King sued to have his name taken off of the movie. And in all fairness, this movie had absolutely nothing to do with the short story The Lawnmower Man by Stephen King, which was the story about kind of like this hillbilly country guy who's hired to like mow a lawn of this like regular middle class rich guy, but the hillbilly guy like he runs over animals on purpose and eats them when they come out the back end of his lawnmower and scares the crap out of this, like, genteel, middle-class gentleman who hired him to mow the lawn. So it really is a story about a lawnmower man. Like, that's what the story is. It's just kind of creepy. It was one of his earlier stories. You know, it's a it's an okay story. It's not one of my favorite Stephen King stories, but it's creepy. It's kind of interesting. But it really is about a man that mows lawns. Whereas the movie The Lawnmower Man is inexplicably about a mentally handicapped gentleman who is, like, hooked up to a computer system which makes him evil. And Pierce Brosnan is intricately involved in hooking him up with a computer system. It's kind of like that horrible movie with Johnny Depp that came out, like, more recently where he's, like, a computer program. That movie was terrible. But this is, like, an early iteration I of it. I blocked it out of when, my like, mind. When, like, Jeff Fahey is, like, a nightmare from hell that's supposed to be, like, a handicapped guy, which also just... 
the whole thing is like, what is this movie? And it absolutely, like, I'm telling you guys, if you watched that movie and read the story like I did, you would be like, there's no, absolutely no connection between these two things. Except for a name. No. Right. They should never even have used his name. But that's Hollywood. (laughs) Hollywood is always going to take whatever you give it and then spin around like like in a salad spinner from hell (laughs) and then spit out something bizarre. That's why Lucas doesn't like Empire. Aww. Because they say they took his idea, and you know that's why he wrestled control back for Jedi. Well, I love Lucas because uh, he's Empire is the best one. Like, yeah, he doesn't always have the best script writing capabilities. See, they don't want to listen to anybody. Let's stay on target here. Yes. Next, I the- didn't change the topic. You I did. I did. <laughs> yeah, freshy. H.G. Wells wrote a story called "The Island of Doctor Monroe." Now. H.G. Wells is a fabulous writer, and he has written some very thought-provoking books that a lot of people should be reading right now because the apocalypse is nigh. J.K., we just have to deal with Trump. But whatever this book was intended to do (laughs) was completely bent over and taken in, you know, an uncompromising way (laughs) by this film. (laughs) And not just by David Thewlis. Who is... A really good actor, but, like, the most hideous person ever. You Whenever really I see him, like, him. my cervix just, like, ah! shuts down. Like a moot. So. In the 1800s. <laughs> we, we, we told this story. We told this story a, a couple months ago when we were talking about the, the island Dr. Monroe. But I think I should tell it again. That I watched Island of Dr. Monroe when I was, like, a teenager. And I vowed to myself I would never, <laughs> ever watch it again. Because I, I sat through all that. Garbage, 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 garbage. And then Kristen and I were talking about it, and mm-hmm. Kristen loves bad movies. I really do. So I really do. We, you know, we were talking about it, and she's like, "I'm just gonna see if it's on demand. I'm just gonna just see if it's on demand." I'm like, "Okay, you can just see if it's there." The next thing I know, it's playing. I'm like, "I'm like, I told you, I never wanted to watch this ever again." <laughs> and I sat there and I watched of Doctor Monroe twice in my life now. Once with wow. my friends as a teenager, and once with you, bestie. Yep. It was a horrible experience. I was so ashamed for Marlon Brando. Val Kilmer? No, Val Kilmer makes an ass out of himself now on a regular basis. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on with him anymore. Apparently he was trying to hit on Kate Blanchett. And it what? was very poorly. Out of your league, bro. Yeah, she's like married, and it was all on Instagram, and then he was like, I didn't mean any of that, I just think she's a great actor, and everyone was like, no, I'm pretty sure you're on coke. But anyway, um, and then David Thewlis, and oh, poor Feruza Balk. Oh, Feruza Balk. I mean, she, you know, she was cute in The Water Boy. I loved her when I was a little girl, and she did Return to Oz, but ooh, boy, was she creepy in this. And uh, yeah, Marlon Brando was just off on his own... I don't even know what was going on in his head at that point. Um, and Val Kilmer was creepy and horrifying. David Thewlis was hideous. And the story just... Ugh. Like, first, I mean, the acting was bizarre. The story was bizarre. I don't know that it really tied into what was going on in the book, which I think was just about, like, the evils of, of playing with genetics and combining you know, different animal types and, and hoping for the best, but not knowing. Like, playing God, sort of like Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which is a brilliant book. Um, this, But this movie is a train wreck from hell. And the makeup was hideous, too. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'm just, like, remembering that scene with, like, all the hybrid animal people that look like 
rejects from, like, a Broadway play, like, dance show. I don't know. It, it's horrifying. But not, like, in a way that you're like, wow, this is a good scary movie. More, like, in a way that you're like, if I was related to anyone in the show, like, I would cry for their future. Let's, um, let's, let's move on yeah. because I think you're getting a little sad thinking about the, the actors. It's just so awful. <laughs> it's, it's so, so awful. awful and embarrassing. The poor little man. You don't oh, mind God. that I balance this microphone on your leg, do you? Well, it's working for now. Nah. All right, so next we're going to go back to more Stephen King. Yep. And this is one that a lot of people are on the fence about. And this yeah, is, um, I'm on the fence about it, too, because there's parts of this movie that I thought were, like, awesome okay, so and exactly right. We're talking about Dreamcatcher. Right. So Dreamcatcher is Stephen King, uh, a newer Stephen King book. I think it came out in the late '90s. I think the book did. Ooh, yeah. don't, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. The movie definitely came out in the early 2000s. Yeah. And I, I was, I remember being excited for this because, you know, I, at the time, like you know, I, I like Jason Lee a lot. He was in a lot of great yeah, stuff. It yeah, was Jason pre Lee's My great. Name Is Earl, but he did like some great movies in, in there. The like, guy from Homeland, stuff. that's yeah. so good. He's such a good actor. Yeah, the guy, actor. um, the guy that's in um, uh, Santa Clarita Diet. Oliphant. And yeah, Timothy Oliphant. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's great. He's so charismatic, and um, I love the character that he played, um, Pete. And I, re- I really like this book, too. Yeah. Like, I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I really am. I love him. Um, but I felt really touched by this book because, well, Jeff knows, my friends that are listening know, um, my uncle was mentally handicapped, and he passed away, God, it must be like 10 years now, mm-hmm. and it's crazy, it's been a really long time. But um, I, lo- I loved him so much. He was one of my favorite people in the world. And this book featured uh, one of the main characters, uh, Duditz, was um, Dudley, but that's how he said his name. Um, he was mentally handicapped. And I loved that he made someone that was mentally handicapped like a main character in a story. Because that's so cool. Like, you know, sometimes people get marginalized and they are a really important part of families and society and structure. And I loved, loved my Uncle Ed still every day. So, I love this book, and um, I actually really enjoyed the movie up until, like, the very end. Yeah. Yeah, we don't want to give away too much stuff, but the ending of the book and the ending of the movie are totally different things. Yeah, and, I mean, just, yeah, like, the general overview, it's about, like, these four really good friends who grew up together, and they all go hunting, like, once a year and catch up, but then things go horribly awry, as they do. And that's all I'll say. But, um... Besides the fact that one of them is mentally handicapped. But he he does not go on the hunting trip, but he's figures in the story. But, um, but yeah, I mean, the book is so cool. Like, if you get a chance to read it, it's really cool. It's about the government being evil. Um, you know, it's about supernatural occurrences. And it's about, really, it's about friendship. And yeah. how much, like, your friends sort of save you from yourself and give you a purpose. And it's a beautiful book. But and I really like the movie. If you watch the movie, like you're gonna really like like the whole first half of it because all the guys that play like the friends when they were kids and when they're grown up, like that part is awesome. And there's this the one character has this whole analogy in the book about how his brain is like like a huge library with a bunch of filing cabinets, and yeah. you sort of like get to see what his brain works like. Which I whole, love that whole part of the book. And Thomas Harris does that in Hannibal, which we're going to talk about later. Um, and the books are really cool and brilliant. Um, but the movie, like, it was cool until you got to the end. And then you were like, mm, they kind of lost me. 
There was yeah, there there was a lot of things that you know they they made and more than Freeman's leads. in it. Yeah, and yeah. there's like so many good people in this movie. Yeah, it was it was botched though. It's um, hard when they sometimes I think he, with Stephen King especially like sometimes like his endings and sort of when there's like a monster part like it just doesn't translate well because it's so much scarier when you see it in your head. It's kind of the only way I can. And we all, you know, as far as adaptations go, we already know that the Dark Tower... It's going to be awesome! What I'm trying to say is that the the Dark Tower isn't following the book already, because it's half the talisman you're going to tell in the trailer. Yes. Instead of, you know... It's not the, yeah, it's not, it's not the, um... The gunslinger. The gunslinger, or, like, the drawing of the three. It's, like, sort of a combination of all those things. The Talisman is a fabulous book. Which, but it wasn't the same. He features in that, but yeah, it wasn't the same. So it's interesting that they create their own. Their but own it looks stuff. really cool. So yeah, I'm not taking anything away from that. No, no, it definitely looks awesome. I don't think they'd screw that one up. Though, no, though, they knock on my cheap fake wood IKEA furniture. They're, knock, they knock, knock. found a way to screw Superman up a bunch of times. And, don't uh, remind me about Justice Superman. League is freaked. All right, let's talk about Dune. Dune by Frank Herbert. All right, so Frank Herbert's Dune is not an easy read. It is There's a n- massive tomb. There is nobody that sits around and is like, blew through that in a couple days. I think I read that, like, in a summer. I think it was, like, the summer of, like, 99. Like, I think I read, like, that was what I did. And then I started the second book, and I was like, nope, don't care. So. Yeah, it's a big commitment. I definitely saw the movie before, you know, I saw, you know, the David Lynch Dune. Yes. I don't know which version. Everyone's seen that. I don't know which... There's like nine different versions of that movie. It was on TV all the time when I was a little kid. Yeah, because it was like... Sting, that big fat gross guy that like floats around like... So that was like 83 or 84 I think that came out. Yeah. The adaptation is very loose. Especially when they added these like voice guns in there. That doesn't happen in the book. Voice guns! That sounds so lame. Where like Agent Cooper trains them to like... You know, use that. But he trains him on other things, you know, in in the book. So that part's kind of accurate, but there's so much. It's such a big book. It's such a big commitment to try to make that into a film, you know? It really is. Um, now, that David Lynch adaptation, I just... It's laughable to watch it now, especially with Sting. Yeah. But... The version the Sci-Fi Channel did one of the it was like one of the first original movies I remember really watching. I want to say they did this around two thousand two thousand one. That version is amazing. It is accurate. It looks good. I haven't watched it in fifteen years, so I'm assuming it's still pretty good. I did not see that. No one's seen it. (laughs) Ben had a copy of it on DVD. I mean, he didn't even have a DVD player at the time. And I did, and that, that's how I watched it. He, like, he had to have it. Like, I remember. Sometimes I just feel like if it's too much of a book, you have to, like, split it up. But sometimes we have the opposite problem. Which Could you imagine if they tried to fit The Death of Hallows into one book? No. I mean, or I the was, Last Hunger Games book? No. Into one movie? Or, the, like, The Stand. Did I, right? I still feel like The Stand... It's not happening. It's not a good thing to make into just one two-hour movie, because the thing that's amazing about The Stand is, like, the epic scale of the characters, and how they all fit together, and how they all, like, suffer through these situations. So, like, 
sometimes it just doesn't translate to that. Like, you gotta do multiple movies, or you gotta do, like, a miniseries, or, like, an HBO, you know, series of shows. Like, like I loved, if, if anybody's seen, it's not sci-fi, but Big Little Lies. Like, it's... It's not the longest book I've ever read, but it translated so well to being a TV show, like a short-term TV show on HBO, because there was so much about the characters that you had to understand for it to be impactful at the end. And I, some some books are like that. Yeah. No, yeah. no, I totally hear you. Most of the time, I don't I'm see gonna like the book stand. Than the movie anyway. I don't, yeah, I know. You always are. You don't ever see the stand. I, I don't. I'm sorry. Let me try it one more time. I don't ever see the stand. Being a theater movie. No. I don't because I just don't think it's as impactful if you try to, like, condense everybody's stories. Like, it's such an amazing book because you love those characters. Like, you get to know them so well because you're reading it for a while and you get to know them so well and love them that it's so much more impactful, like, watching I think The Stand could definitely work as a four-year, ten-episode-per-year series. Yeah. I think that that and you could tell the story. But then some people are like, well, oh, well, if you want to tell the story, just read the book. But you can, do, you can always do that, too. Yeah. And I love Stephen King because, like, oh, well, here's one that we didn't have on our list, but should have been Under the Dome. <laughs> Why like, did we forget that? That TV show that was terrible. Had some great actors, but <laughs> it was a goddamn hot mess. And it really did not tie at all to, like, Stephen King's super cool book about how society breaks down in chaos, uh, when sometimes faced with, with situations that are novel and, and government and, you know, control systems break down and can't fix the situation. Um, his book is horrifying and sad and wonderful. And the show was a freaking train wreck Mm -hmm. that I don't even know what it was about, but like Stephen King just said, you know what guys, like, I let them have the rights, and he's like, just because they made this show and it isn't what you wanted, like, that doesn't take the book away. It still exists. You can always go back and read my book. It's not going anywhere. Like, someone just wanted to bring some pieces out of it, and if they did it the wrong way, okay, fine, but, like, my book is still there. I I love love his attitude about that that stuff. He has such a positive attitude about that because, you know, you you hear so many people that talk about their their adaptations. Uh, who, Who wrote Mary Poppins? I probably put you on the spot with that. It was a woman. Um, so it was like she was known. She was seen crying in the theater, and people thought that she liked it so much. But no, she hated what they did to her she story. Was telling a story about being like a child in an unhappy family relationship and dealing with nannies that she had, and they turned it into like a happy children's story. You know, about a, a nanny that loved the kids. Which supernaturally and, comes in. Right. Flies and that's, in that and wasn't her life. Magically comes in and makes everything better, right? P.L. Exactly. Travers. Okay, P.L. Yes, Travers. Yeah. So, and if you've ever seen, we also watched the movie about, like, about the making of of Mary Poppins with, uh, with, um, Tom Hanks. Um, well, we didn't watch it with Tom Hanks. He's in that movie. Um, also Emma Thompson, who I just love. Um, she played the author, but yeah, I mean, yeah, like there are situations where an author creates something and people read into it what their experience is. And that wasn't the author's intention. And since I'm a nerdy English major, I took classes on this and the, 
sort of the general consensus is, and actually heartbreakingly enough, Chris Cornell passed away um, just recently, and this was his philosophy too, is like, you create a piece of work, and when you put it out there, it really stops being yours. It starts belonging to your audience. Um, and it's what they bring to that story that makes it real for them. It might not have been your intention at all, but if that's what they take from it, like, it's their story then. And it's what, how they view it, and, you know, what aspects of it were resonated to them. So, as an author, that's a hard thing to do, because you have your idea of, like, what your story is and how people should accept it and, and what it means to you, but you have to let it go. You have to kind of let your audience determine what it means to them. Um, but yeah. But in the, yeah, in Mary Poppins' case, she was not super amped about them turning her story about her alcoholic dad and <laughs> the nannies that she had to deal with into a lady that played with uh, cartoon penguins. But that, <laughs> it wasn't really her choice, because that's what Walt Disney got out of reading her stories. So, sorry. Sorry, P.L. Travers. The next movie on our list is um, <laughs> is a movie I love, and it is the Robert Heinlein's Heinlein. Oop, Heinlein's Robert Heinlein story of uh, Starship Troopers. Robert Heinlein is a brilliant sci-fi writer. When I was studying English in um, undergrad, I took a class on sci-fi English, which was one of the coolest classes I ever took. Um, my teacher, like Crispin Glover, and he was like awesome. Um, he used to make a joke like all the time about Star Trek, like, you know, join, join the team, uh, you know, meet interesting people and have sex with them. Um, meet yeah. interesting alien and creatures and have sex with them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, sort of a riff on, on the army slogan from the sixties, but, um, it was such a cool class and we read, uh, some of Heinlein's work and he's brilliant and interesting and like, heartbreaking, and then there's Starship Troopers, the movie, which is fun. I'm it's a fun it's movie. But, it yeah. is, there, there is so much ridiculousness <laughs> to this movie, um, but it, it strays from the story, but it, it, you know, it's kind of those things where it's like, if you saw the movie first, like I did, it became this, like, cult classic. Now, the, they have made several other Starship Troopers movies also, which go straight to, straight to DVD. You know, when when something goes straight to disc, you know, there's a reason for it. There's never a hidden gem that goes straight to that straight is to disc. True. You know what? With the exception of John Dies at the End. Yeah, I did love that movie. But we're not here to talk about John Dies at the End. But if you haven't seen that, you should watch that. Starship Troopers, I love. I love this movie. And I know it's a terrible, it's a bad movie. But you know what? It's fun. That is true. That's right. I like fun. And I was going to just quickly mention... Um, you know, there's another sci-fi movie that Jeff and I absolutely hated called Predestination. Oh, right. That was a um, great book. And we, short yeah, story, we right? like totally went off on how much this movie sucked. When we were on a panel when last fall. When we were fall. on a panel yeah. last fall, and one of our uh, audience members um, mentioned to us that it was actually based on a short story, which I believe was a Philip K. Dick story. Don't quote me on that. I was... Just checking really quickly. <laughs> we were researching this. I found this article about there's been like 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 every. No, it film was a Heinlein. It was a Heinlein story. Oh, it was so a Heinlein. It's a Heinlein oh. story called "All You Zombies." That's right. And I had not read that particular one, but our audience member came up and talked to us after the fact about the fact that that movie was supposed to be about basically someone that's like 
our president right now. Like, someone who um, is totally focused on his own wants and needs. And so the whole story is about a character that um, he's his own mother and his own father and his own child. And also the reason at the end why he doesn't continue to exist. But, like, everything in the world is just about him and a reflection of him. And in the story, in the short story, apparently, like, that was very clear, because the character's looking at, like, everyone else around him as if they're zombies, and he's the only one that matters, but they're regular people just living their lives. Um, the tone of this movie was different, and it was played off sort of like, it was supposed to be like a film noir mystery type thing. It was terrible. Where there was, like, this detective trying to figure out, like, who killed somebody, and why, and got to travel through time to do it, and that's not what happened in the story, but, like, once our audience member sort of explained that to us, I was like, oh my god, I get it. Like, it still was a crappy movie, but I get, like, the purpose of it was just to sort of explode this idea that, like, this person existed only for their own good, and everyone around them only existed for them in their eyes. So they were their own parent and child, because they were their own Nothing else mattered. Yeah. yeah. So, but, yeah, I don't think the movie made that clear to me. <laughs> but the story sounded really awesome, so Robert Heinlein, killing it. The next one we want to talk about is a, a comic, and that's A League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> okay, so fun fact, uh, Sean Connery has not made a movie since he was in this film because he hated being in it so much. Which I know it sounds shocking, and every time I say this, I look it up again. But it is still true. It is still true. He has not done another movie since he's done this. And it's been so a long time ago. Thanks, guys. And it also stars the vampire leprechaun from that horrible uh, Lestat movie. Oh, right. Yes. That was not at all. I think Anne Rice movies in general, like, amazing writer, amazing books. Any movie that I've seen that was supposed to be an adaptation of her books is a pile of dog turds. <laughs> She's just too good. <laughs> but you know, ever since you pointed out to me that that Sean Connery has not acted since The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, yep. I was like, that, you know, like, I'll say it to other people too, and they're like, no, I have to look this up right now, and they're like, you're right. <laughs> like, Kristen gets all the credit. I'm just along for the ride. It's just sad. I read it somewhere because I was... I've watched that movie, like, several times just because it confounds me. <laughs> I just Sometimes I watch things a lot if they, like, frustrate me because I'm like, how did this get made and why? And <laughs> what is going on with it? So I watched it a bunch of times and I happened to, like, read some stuff on the internet about it because I was like, does everybody else think this sucks as much as I do? <laughs> like, what is this? And they did. And that's how I learned that, like, Sean Connery was like, making this movie sucked so much that I don't want to make any movies anymore. Which is really sad because I love Sean Connery. But thanks uh, to the filmers and producers of this movie for taking Sean Connery away from us. Hopefully he relents before his untimely demise um, and does something else because I, I don't want to remember him from this bizarre from the League of Extraordinary crappy movie. Going out on a, with a whimper there. With like a chintzy But no one's Nina seen him. Like, Dracula, have you seen Sean Connery in the last Dorian Gray. No. No. Like weird, annoying Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which that guy, I've seen him in other things, and he's a good good actor, but not in this. And, like, ugh, the the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea character, like, no, no. And, oh yeah, and the bad guy from Sherlock Holmes, like, this movie is just a train wreck. It's 
It's not good. Now let's talk about a well-casted movie by an excellent writer, which was just downright terrible. Yes. And that's Hannibal. Yes. Now, Hannibal, written by Thomas Harris, is a fantastic book. It, it is took amazing. So long. It took him like 15, no, it took him like 10 years to write it, I think. You know, and, um. It is horrifying. At that point, when I read, when I read Hannibal, I never read Silence of the Lambs. But at the point, at that point, though, people were telling me, like, you don't need to, the like, Silence of the Lambs adaptation was so good that you really don't need. Yeah, you know, my dad said it. that too. My dad's like a huge. Well, I've read it since I've read it since then. But so when Hannibal came out, you know, I read it and I loved it. It's a big book, and I read it pretty awesome. pretty quick. I remember too. Yeah, I remember like because I borrowed it from your parents. Mm-hmm. They finished. They passed it around. They yep. let me borrow it, and I read it. And then you and I were like, it was opening night. You and I went. We were it was amped. like ninety nine, two thousand, something like that. I don't think we could go to the bar yet. I don't. I don't I think don't we were twenty one so. yet. Or maybe you were, and I wasn't. Uh, that's possible. So, we go to the movies. I am 40 years older than you. No, you're not. J.K. Rowling! I'm like a year older. Quiet, you. <laughs> so, we we go to the theater and, and like, sit down. And you know when the end of the book is the opening scene of the movie. Mm. You're like, oh, what's going on here? They, it came out in 2001. 2001. So, so I was old enough to drink. Yes, I was. I, me too. In two thousand, in fall of two thousand, we didn't I could drown our sorrows in beer after that. Maybe we did. We went back to your house and did it instead of going <sighs> out. So anyway, anyway, the concept here is that like you know uh, Gary Oldman, you had so many Gary members. Gary Oldman was good in this movie. You had so many people from again. Gary Oldman is not credited anywhere as Mason Verger. Right, because he had all that awesome prosthetics on, so you couldn't tell it was him. You had so many people coming back from Silence the Lamps, but. You know, including Hopkins, but you didn't have Jodie Foster, but that didn't kill yeah. it. Julianne Moore didn't do a terrible job. She didn't do a wonderful job, but she didn't do a terrible job. But the script was so bad. The script was so bad. I mean, I personally can't stand Ray Liotta. That's my own personal bias. How about that point where they all put the cell phone, like, Ugh. headsets on and they walk around the mall? It just... It, it's not... So... Here's the thing. It was hugely disappointing if you've read Hannibal. Oh, yeah. Because, and, like, as a movie, if you hadn't read it, like, you might have thought, like, eh, it was okay. It wasn't the best thing I ever saw, but it was okay. But if you read Hannibal, it was, like, heartbreaking to see, like, what they made of him. Because they made him, like, some creepy joke that, like, you wouldn't want to get near, and he was, like, only evil, and, like, Clarice would trick him, and that is not who that character is in the book. Like, in the book, like, you almost can't help but fall in love with him, even though he's scary as hell, and you know, like, there's nothing normal about him, but you kind of get, like, he's so brilliant and amazing. Like, it just, it makes sense the way that the book ends, and it doesn't make sense the way that the movie ends. I love the ending of that book so much. It was so great. Like, it's so great. Because, like... And then I, I also read Hannibal Rising and saw that movie, which I think that mo- adaptation was, was really great. You know, I, I never mean, saw that. that. cool. I still never saw I know, it. I'm still trying to get you to watch that because now it's on, on demand. But that was a cool movie and a really cool book. And if you liked Hannibal, like, you would love that because it just expands upon, like, his brain. But the book Hannibal is just so awesome it is scary as hell it's creepy it's weird and it's brilliant and amazing and and 
I just love that character so much. Like, he is so amazing. And all the pieces fit together in such cool ways in the book. I don't know. But the movie was such a huge letdown because the book was so great. And that's my only concern if they ever try to make, like, Justin Cronin's The Passage books into a movie. It's like, Yeah, because it's such... It is, that's all that's they're all at, though. They, they did, someone's yeah. bought it. I Those don't think they've finished writing it. Like, outside of, like, Thomas Harris Hannibal, those books, like, every single sentence of those books was beautiful and wonderful. And, like, I just don't know if you can, like, translate that into a movie. Into a movie. Yeah, sometimes you just can't translate it. Sometimes you can't. Let's talk about, the next movie we're going to talk about is Faulkner. Ugh. So, first of all, I'm just going to be really honest here. Faulkner made me want to kill myself when I had to read him in undergrad. And the movie... Because Molly's super into him. The movie title is As I Lay Dying. Right. Now, this was kind of... I don't even know if it went in the theaters. No. I don't think so. It's got... This is a Franco It's got James Franco, and it's got um, Kenny Powers. And that nerdy guy from True Blood. <laughs> so... Your cousin Molly loves Faulkner? My cousin Molly loves Faulkner. Um, so, Faulkner's a stream of conscious writer, um, as is... Um, the, some of the beat writers were stream of conscious writers. And the idea is that you, like... It's, like, deconstructed narrative. So you're writing like you think. Um, and so the reader, when you're reading the book, has to sort of uh, put together the story based on, like... Essentially incoherent ramblings. Okay, I'm not gonna be nice about it because I couldn't stand this kind of writing. Um, William Burroughs is the beat writer that did this. Um, but yeah, so Faulkner was like Southern Gothic novelist, um, and he did this stream of conscious writing. So it's almost a little bit like poetry, you know, but not because it's a novel and you have to like sort of try to sit there and piece together what's going on in this narrative that's deconstructed, um, and it made me insane, and I <laughs> didn't care for it. And the movie was uh, just about as incoherent to me as the book, so it really was. to me it was it was effective Wait, what's and going horrifying, on? Oh, he's doing and I didn't want to watch what? it <laughs> any more than I wanted to read the book when I was in undergrad. But, yeah, I mean, if you, like, some people have that way of, like, like their brain can adapt well to sort of, like, nonsensical things and, and pulling out what they enjoy about that, which is totally cool. Like my cousin Molly's brilliant, but it made me crazy. I just, yeah. Did you ever, <laughs> did you ever read train spotting? <laughs> yes. And I love train spotting. Train spotting's different. It's totally different, but I had so much trouble reading. Oh, I had so much trouble reading train spotting. <laughs> I think at first I would do, I would do a total of like five pages and I would pass out. You know what? helped me with that, because I, I read it for fun, but I also had to read it for one of my classes in okay. school about, like, dialect, like, when I yeah. was studying English. Um, it helped when I heard their voices in my head. Yes, yes. Because then when I was, like, sounding it out, I was like, oh, I know what they're saying. But when you, when you try to read it, like, it's written in Scottish dialect, but not, that's not, like, a different language. It's English, but it just sounds different. So you have to, like, hear it in your head while you're reading it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I get what's going on. And then it was so much easier after that point. But, like, yeah, there's some writers that, like, to do fun things with with written word and, and put it down. So, like, William S. Burroughs' thing was he would take 
like, the Bible and a bunch of magazines and, like, a manuscript that he wrote for a short story, and he would rip them all up and throw them in the middle of the room and then piece them back together. And, like, that would be his book. So you had to kind of figure out, like, where he was trying to go around other texts that might have had nothing to do with what he was doing, essentially. Like, that was his sort of method. And it's cool if you can sort of respect it, like, modern art. Yeah. But I'm not a huge modern art person. I'm literal. Like, I like to, if I, like, look at a painting, I want it to look like something that I can recognize. Right. If I read a book, I want to be able to understand what's going on in the story. But not everybody's like that, and I can appreciate that people have other ways of looking at things. And so if you, if you like to read things that are more like poetry and more like if you were in a dream and trying to pull out a meaning from a dream, then you probably would enjoy Faulkner's work. But it made me insane. And uh, As I Lay Dying is basically the story about like a family that's kind of falling apart when the matriarch is dying. Um, so the movie, at least you could kind of understand that. The book, it took a really long time to figure out that that's what was going on. Like everyone was sad because their mom was dying. Um, but it still is a completely bizarre movie. <laughs> and it's so horrible to try to watch it. But I hated the book too. So maybe if you really love the book... And that's your jam. Like, give it a go. You give it a chance. I mean, it's Franco, and he really was trying. I, I, I think this book spoke to him, and he wanted to bring something out of it, which I really like. James Franco is a really good writer, actually. Like, I loved his short story book. Um, it's very disturbing and, and dark, but it was well-written and well-thought-out. So I do I respect him as an artist, but this was not my jam. So what about nope. what about the Dr. Seuss live-action <laughs> adaptations? No. Now, now, first off, when you talk about, and, and we're we're talking Grinch and we're talking Cat in the Hat, yes. Because when when you're talking about talking taking Jim Carrey and we're talking Mike Myers, I, I want to say a twenty to thirty page like board book, not even no like twenty to thirty page children's story. Mm-hmm. I know I know that's because I read my son you know Cat in the Hat for sure. My, Cat in the Hat was my sister's favorite book, but somehow it became this oddly sexualized yeah. bizarreness with Alec Baldwin and Mike Myers dressed in a cat suit and being pervy and weird and playing weird pranks on people that were not what the cat in the hat would have done. Yep. That movie is is an abomination. <laughs> it's terrible. It's horrifying. It like it made me feel like like frightened and sad and disgusted and that does not how I felt about the Cat in the Hat, who was always so much fun. No, I never saw that one, but I, I've seen I've seen the Grinch one with Jim Carrey, and that was horrible. That's bizarre. I bet you the Grinch it's book. Too much about Jim I bet Carrey. you the book is the same length as, as the Cat in the Hat. Yeah, I haven't read that me. one since I was a little kid. We're not into the Grinch yet. My, my, my sister son is not there. loved the Cat in the Hat and the Grinch when she was a kid. Like her favorite character ever was the Grinch. When she went away to college, my mom and I bought her a stuffed Grinch for her bed. That we did all sorts of pervy things too. <laughs> Not really. I mean, we just would put it in weird positions and scare my sister when she came home from partying. But um, she loved. Didn't the have a little light up heart. Yeah, too. it did. So creepy. We got it at Macy's at Christmas, but yeah, it was the creepiest looking toy. That really was. Ryan creepy. was always doing weird stuff. To yes, it. he was. Never like she would bring it home on Christmas break. Like it'd be wearing like weird boxers or yeah. like in some sort of a sixty nine position with something like yeah. horrible things were done with the Grinch, but. Um, but my sister loved those books, so I knew them very well. Um, and they're lovely stories, and, and, like, 
Dr. Seuss is so brilliant, and, like, I still cry when I read some of his stuff, because it's just so... It's so smart, and it really, like, allows children to participate in social issues and the conversation around, like, dealing with the world and the environment. And Yolanda's yellow other. yak yammers. Like, and he's <laughs> silly, too, you know. I mean, it's silly, too, green eggs and ham. But it's but it's fun and silly, and, and it's smart and it's thoughtful, and it sort of allows children to, like, engage in a dialogue with adults about life. Right? Which is so cool. Um, but, but no, the Grinch movie with Jim Carrey was all about, like, Jim Carrey being weird and, like, doing his facial expressions and being, like... And that was, like, right after we had, like, Jim Carrey being weird and Batman and Robin, or Batman... I don't think Jim Carrey's forever. anything other than weird, except when he's being dramatic, forever. which I like. I like it when he's dramatic. I like it when he's dramatic, too. I don't... Truman Show, Majestic... Yeah, Man in the Moon, like... Um... Kick-Ass 2, I'll even go as far yeah. as saying Kick-Ass 2. He's a very good actor. But when he, when they let him loose, like, you know, Ace Ventura style, I just, I'm, I'm growing up over that. Listen, Fire Marshal Bill was freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. But. It's very funny. Those things work in small doses to me. Me too. Me, like, myself, and Irene was one of the worst movies I ever saw. Yeah, it was horrifying. Then I was right next to that guy in the theater that doesn't know how to act, like, during a comedy movie. He's like, like, laughing louder than everybody in the theater, in my ear. Awkward. Um, but yeah, no. And to me, the Cat in the Hat one is like a million times worse than the Grinch one. The Grinch one at least like had its moments. The Cat in the Hat one is just like horrifying. And I don't dislike Mike Myers. Like I really like Shrek, but that movie was like, like a bizarre, creepy, horrible abomination that wasn't anything like. The Cat in the Hat yeah. I loved growing up. It was, like, pervy, and I don't even know. Was, I don't know. Was it too Canadian or something? I don't... I'm just kidding. I love our neighbors like, in the North. It was too much about, like, the mom's relationship with her boyfriend, Alec Baldwin, and they made him into, like, some kind of creepy... It was almost like a like a child molestery thing, which is not Alec Baldwin. Like, it was the way that, that they filmed it and, like, the script, and it was, like... Okay, like, no. And then they sort of had the cat in the hat go there, too. Like, he was very sexual. And I was like, no. Like, that is not at all... Like, the cat in the hat is all about, like, hey, your parents aren't home. Like, let's do naughty little kid things. Like, let's, you know, put stuff in the fish's bowl. And let's, like, ride down the stairs on roller skates. Like, all the things that you think are fun when you're a kid, but you know when you're an adult, like, that you would be horribly injured and maimed by doing. Like, it was fun and silly, but... That cat in the hat was, like, pervy. Like, I felt like he was, like, almost, like, looking up people's skirts. And I was like, what it? No. Like, that is not the cat in the hat. What is going on here? So that one, to me, is, like, by far The creepiest. Now, let's talk about what's just a straight-up cash grab. And that's taking The Hobbit, which is not that long (laughs) of a book, (laughs) and turning it into one, two... Three, three movies! Three movies, yeah, three movies. Hey, let's stick Evangeline Lily in here. Who? Her character may not have existed in the books, but was kind of cool. She was cool. Like, some parts of it were cool. Parts? That's the it problem. Was too much, and the that was The first Hobbit movie was great. And yeah. parts of the... And the second one, like, I hadn't even seen the theater. I don't know how I completely missed it. And then 
like parts of that one were cool and parts of the third one were cool. Right. But except the third one just seemed to me like a big long video game. Oh, it just like, went it on was forever. Like a video game battle at the whole end I was like, okay. Like and here's the thing. If you saw the Lord of the Rings trilogy, like those movies were freaking awesome. There was so much story going on and there was so much character development and there was so much like drama and war and just like it was just awesome. And then you have, like, this other story, which isn't a bad story and should have been told, but it didn't need to be three movies to tell that story when you had already told, like, this really sweeping epic. And then this was just, like, the prequel precursor about... The know, Hobbit was even shorter than Bilbo. just, like, one of one of those Lord of the... Like, right. <laughs> like, I feel like The Hobbit is a third of the size of Return of the King. The, the book. Yeah. You know? It, it wasn't an epic. It was, like... Bilbo, you know, goes on a quest yeah. to help his little friends and maybe deal with one dragon and and he found a ring along the way. And like it was that just, was it. It was a cash grab, it was too much too much added in. Now I will say that I was when they first announced that they were gonna make into three movies, not two, I was all about it. I said he's gonna do a great job here, Jackson's in a rocket, it's gonna be so great. I am so amped for this. And then after the second one I was like, ooh, most of this stuff come from guys yeah it's like they did like a thing on snl the one time and they were almost like they were like doing like the hobbit but they broke down even more and they're like the hobbit i put together an ikea cabinet yes that's right (laughs) it's kind of like getting to that point where you're like guys okay we didn't need to see that part like there's a reason why tolkien didn't write that part like we were good without it like he told the parts he had to now the dragon was cool like there were definitely parts of it that i was like all right this is awesome yeah but it, it was too much, and it didn't need to be. They could have really... Really could have cut that down. And there's yeah. an even longer version out there. Wait, for Christ's sakes. Mm-hmm. Extended edition. Sometimes less is more, people. Sometimes less is more. On that note, we're going to end this podcast saying less is more. Yes. So remember, tomorrow we'll be at the Gaithersburg Book Festival in Gaithersburg, Maryland. And if there's any other book adaptations that you thought were horrible, we'd love to hear what you think. Um, Be our friends and come visit us on our awesome website that Jeff designed. Prisondad.com. Of course. There's free stories. There's books. There's other podcasts. The merch. Silly stuff. Nobody buys the merch except us. But that's okay. Someday. Someday. Someday people will have snacks. I think that lady told us to uh, mark it up too high. I think she told us. That if was we, like look, years ago. Here's the thing. No, we don't. If we get big, people will pay that money. But for now, I'm the only one that has an O'Shaughnessy hoodie. Yeah, I got a prison dad shirt. <laughs> and she's a hot mess cinnamon whiskey like hot shirt. So anyway, um, Les Gum is a good time, um, and you will enjoy him if you check him out in our book series. And uh, we're a good time. So if you enjoyed listening to us. Today, or tonight, whatever time you're listening to this, uh, tune in again. Check out our other podcasts. And, uh, you know, may the force be with you.